Welcome to The Paleo View. I'm bestselling author and co-creator of realeverything.com, Stacey Toth. I focus on being healthy inside and out through real life, food, and talk. I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, New York Times bestselling author and creator of thepaleomom.com. I'm passionate about improving scientific literacy around public health topics. I like hashtags and bone broth. And I'm just a super nerd. Welcome back to the Paleo View. Evidently, it's episode 359, but I'm just trusting what I'm looking at because I honestly don't know what day it is. (laughs) (laughs) I am in Salt Lake City. It's the second of three days here. Tomorrow we head out to Denver where I have an event that will be over by the time this podcast comes out. Um, And then I still have whole lot of country to explore and events in Santa Monica, Houston, and Tampa, just before I forget. But, um, wait, so are you, you backtracking back to the West coast? I am. Yeah. So we, we came in through, uh, Boise, Idaho from the Pacific Northwest, and then Mm -hmm. we're going to go down to Denver and come back out Vegas and then because I needed to go to Santa Monica for a work thing on July 11th, we kind of like zigzagged a little bit and then um, we'll come back down the coast after that, if that makes that, sense. It does make sense. And it makes sense with the, like, I had to be here on this day and yeah. I wanted to go here on this day. And the, then it, then like, oh, okay, logic, I get it. But I thought for some reason you were just having fun zigzagging. <laughs> we were going to zigzag way even more. We had planned to go Reno, Yosemite, Ooh. and then, um, where are we? Salt Lake City. But there were snowfalls because of the melting snow in Yosemite, and they were closing the roads for everything except one hour. And if we oh. missed... That your hour road. window to yeah. get through the pass. Then it would have added six to 10 hours to our trip, which we just really didn't have. That particular leg was really tight as it was. And so we decided it wasn't worth the risk and went through Boise, Idaho, which was a much easier drive. And turns out is a super cute area in town. Mm-hmm. I never would have known. You know, I'm sorry, America, but there's some states where I'm just kind of like, meh, <laughs> like, why would I want to go there? <laughs> And I was so until wrong. you go there and you're like, wait a minute. Totally. I was so wrong. The town is so cute. And um we did like a waterfall drive through from Boise to Salt Lake City that was beautiful. But it's a very at least Boise, right? Like the the big town of Boise is very farm centric. Like it reminded me a lot of um the Virginia town that we go to for the festival with Harry Potter. Why can't I think of it? Anyway, um, the Polyface farm mm-hmm. area, you know what I mean? Like it's uh, super modern. Evidently it's a college town and that's why it's very kind of trendy. And um, we did a ton of Pokemon Go and Wizarding Unite walking around the town, checking everything out. It was so super cute. So it was a great detour, but 
confused the trip a little bit. So now I'm like, <laughs> where are we and where are we going next until we get back on track? So we'll be back on track now. We're in Salt Lake City. We're going to head back on to our regularly scheduled program to Denver, Colorado, and then Breckenridge, Colorado to a friend's house for July 4th. And then we will begin our descent back down the bottom side of Utah and Vegas and all that stuff. So, whew, yeah, it's been a really great trip. I think we're going to talk about it on the next podcast. Um, I think we're finally to a point where we're like, oh, I see why someone would do this instead of what we're doing. Or, <laughs> um, this thing that we did was really genius yep. and great. So we can talk about some of those things um, as people plan their own trips and adventures might not be our particular cross country trip, but certainly I know a lot of people take road trips. Um, so we're happy it to share some It is really like the great American road trip. Like it is like a, I feel like it's almost as a, it's almost like a rite of passage type vacation. Um, and I'm, I'm, you're making it look good. Like I'm, I'm starting to tell him, like, maybe, maybe we should like take a summer and like drive across the country. And he's looking at me like, no, <laughs> he's, he's like, I, I can't take that much time off work. <laughs> That's his, yeah. Like, but you, but you may, I mean, yeah, he's, uh, he's not buying in, but I'd give me a few years. I'm still working on dog first. Like dog is first, first thing to work on. I'm, I'm two years into the dog project and I think I've got another year to two years left before I can talk him into a dog. So that's, that's step one. And then, then we'll tackle road trip from there. Um, but you reminded me that we should say something to our listeners, which is happy Canada day for all the Canadians. Cause today that we're, the day we're recording is actually Canada day and happy independence day for all of our American listeners, because this will come out for our uh, subscribers on Independence Day. Yes. Happy holidays. North Happy America. July. <laughs> I am so glad that you knew that because like I said, I don't know what day it is. So. <laughs> <laughs> I am excited about this week's show. I have something that I have not shared with you that I know is just going to like get you going on a soapbox. So before we jump in to this week's show, I want to thank our sponsor, Wild Zora, who is not just sponsoring the show, but is also fueling my family as we go <laughs> cross country. Um, we genuinely, truly love Wild Zora, and I hadn't even tried them till you told me about the new products that they have that are AIP mm. friendly, and we are hooked. We love Wild Zora. So um, if you are interested in checking them out, you can go to wildzora.com slash the paleo view to get yourself free shipping and up to 30% off. We'll share a little bit more about them later in the show. They are a jerky that has vegetables incorporated, and they are also delicious, and the texture is not too hard. So big fans. And thank you for sponsoring our show. So we're going to be talking about macronutrients today, which is a little bit of a, a tangential discussion to our micronutrient nerdiness on the show all the time. But you wanted me to be particularly riled up first, which is why you say you saved a magic Sarah will get riled up over the story story for me. Yeah. Well, first of all, I want to say macronutrients is something that I used to track when I was lifting from a tangential perspective because I found that it did make a difference in my performance. Um, but there are certain foods that I think that are 
marketed these days towards specifically the keto community that are macronutrient really heavy in like one way or another. And so I was on Instagram, shockingly, yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) I know, everybody hold on to your hats there. It's a shocker. Um, And someone shared a product that when they turned over the label, it had 1,000 calories, 90 grams of fat, and I think it said like four grams of protein, and then there were no carbs and no micronutrients. So it was a fat bomb, but it was... A thousand... So it was just like a pound of butter. (laughs) Basically. And I was like, how is that one serving? Like, and... And how is this used? Because that's that's like a, a meal replacement for sure. Like m- like more than one meal, right? Like that's that's a meal Calorically. But then there was no protein or micronutrients associated with the meal. And I think that's what concerns me about people going so focused on macros. And I, I know that this is <laughs> this is shockingly um my take on macros, right? But like there it's not just in a vacuum in terms of macros like yeah you you can be focused on higher fat or higher protein or in some cases with in my case like i had to focus on the right amount of carbs at the right amount of time with lifting um but it wasn't just only that right it was like okay well how do i put that chicken on a salad or whatever right like there has to be some balance in your life for your body to properly function. So I hope that's where you're going with this. But I, I thought that you might find it fascinating that there was a one serving 1000 calorie 90 gram of fat product out there that people are loving. Uh, so all I mean, OMG is pretty much the only appropriate response to that. Um, I mean, it's actually this type of product. And the variety of sort of macronutrient focused diets that are that are out there. Um, so in gyms, I know my gym um, promotes something called Eat Your Macros, and so they have a macronutrient target for um, for and you know based on do you want to lose weight, do you want to you know bulk, put on muscle, right? So they'll do a, a body comp and then they'll give you macronutrient targets, and then <laughs> you'll see some of the members who maybe aren't as um, nutrient literate as you and I are, like they'll hit the end of the day. We're like, I didn't hit my, I didn't hit my carb target for the day. So I'll have a can of Coke. Right. And it's, it's, um, uh, I think that being overly focused on macronutrients runs into problems when it is not connected to a food quality conversation and a micronutrient conversation. But I also think there's this other, this other part of this conversation that's happening right now where we're seeing these macronutrient extreme diets like low carb, zero carb, keto, low fat, um, you know, that are really making a resurgence. I guess carnivore would fall under, fall under a, a macronutrient extreme as well. And so I wanted to, to take this episode to unpack macronutrients a little bit. We've talked about nutrient density on the show uh, approximately, let's see, you know, it's episode 359. So we've talked about it approximately 300 times. And, and what that means is getting all of the micronutrients that our bodies need. So what's the difference between macros and micros? Let's, let's start 
let's start at, at some, some basic definitions. Macros really just translates to energy, but it means, macro means big, and it is uh, nutrients that we need from foods in big quantities. So it's carbohydrates, fat, uh, protein, and fiber are our macronutrients. Micronutrients are small, micro means small, and it's nutrients that we need from food in small quantities. So that means vitamins, minerals, phytochemicals, essential amino acids, and essential fatty acids. So those are the things that we need in small quantities. So the, the stuff that we need in big quantities really at the end of the day translates to energy, but there's also some like raw material stuff in macronutrients, right? Protein is used to make proteins in our body, right? So we make you know, every cell has has proteins. Enzymes are made out of protein, right? We have a, a whole pile of different, really important chemical reactions that are driven by proteins inside the body. So it's not just making muscle; it's making components of every single cell. Um, fats are also like you know, fats make up cell membranes, right? Our brain is about sixty percent fat. Uh, hormones, a lot of hormones are fat-based molecules. So we use some of those things as building materials and the rest we use as energy to drive chemical reactions. And then fiber is really about feeding our gut microbiome. So macros, what we need in, in large quantities, micros, what we need in small quantities, even though we need micronutrients in small quantities, it actually is quite a challenge to get micronutrient sufficiency. That's the nutrient density piece that we're always talking about on the show. Because as soon as you try to get all of the micronutrients that your body needs in adequate quantities from whole foods, you're really forced into a paleo or autoimmune protocol style diet. There are There's some wiggle room if you're going to build a diet that's purely just based on nutrient sufficiency. But what that really means is eating seafood, eating organ meat, eating a ton of vegetables, eating a, and eating fruit, things like nuts and seeds, fresh herbs. That's how you get micronutrient sufficiency. And I, I want to just stick a pin in that because we're going to come back to that idea as we talk about macronutrients. So macronutrient guidelines, there's a few different ways that we can, um, yeah, this, this is getting back to like the, my, my physics background. Um, we're going to derive macronutrients from first principles. So all of my physics nerds, um, the three physics nerds who listen to this podcast just got like really excited. But we're basically going to, to come at macronutrient guidelines by looking at some really basic ideas about human anatomy, human physiology. And one of the ways that we can do that is by looking at hunter-gatherer intakes. So how, what, is the, what is the macronutrient range that we see among hunter-gatherer populations, given that um, human evolution was often driven by the energy density of our food, that that should be a fairly good, at least a hypothesis, right? So I'll often use hunter-gatherer data as a way of saying, here's our hypothesis, and then we go to modern science to you know, explain why and confirm that that hypothesis is actually the truth. So there's been some actually really amazing survey studies done of hunter-gatherer societies across the world. Um, and there, there has to be some corrections. So what's really interesting is, especially in the early ethnography studies, um, this was basically men who were traveling the world and like living with different tribes and then recording, like doing sort of measurements of health. These are people like Weston A. Price, uh, who was looking at 
um, dental health in, in hunter-gatherer societies across the world and then making notes about what they were eating. Um, in the early ethnography studies, because they were performed by male scientists, and that was a, a considered a safety issue, it was considered an unsafe profession for a woman, um, they were interacting much more with the male hunters and not as much with the, the female gatherers. And so it's fairly well accepted that they were underestimating the plant food intake. Um, by hunter-gatherer societies. So there's been some corrections that have been done statistically looking at hunter-gatherer um, diets in studies since, and there are still a few hunter-gatherer societies that have fairly little Western influence now in the world that, that are studied for, for a variety of different types of, of um, scientific research. But if you if you look at um, their diets, even, even looking at some of the extremes, it actually is a fairly narrow range of macronutrients. Um, so what you see is even if you look, look at, for example, the Inuit, even though they're one of the more extreme, uh, extreme in terms of animal intake, or if you compare them to the Hadza, which are more extreme in terms of plant intake, uh, you actually start to see um, some unique foods become staples that end up correcting macronutrient imbalances. So, for example, the Inuit go to incredibly great lengths to gather foods. Um, they eat plant foods that um, are really unique. So, for example, they'll eat the contents of stomachs of um, herbivores that they're um, hunting on land or of mammals that they're pulling out of the water. Um, so they're getting all kinds of partially digested plant matter through that. They um, have a really uh, long, long history of fermentation processes to store uh, gatherable food for winter months. And they have really unique sources of carbohydrates. So, for example, whale blubber is actually really high in glycogen, which is a carbohydrate. So they they have some sort of different foods, right? If you look at the Hadza, they are eating a very plant-dominated diet, but they're also eating a lot of coconut, which is increasing their fat intake. So um, even when you look at hunter-gatherers in sort of extreme climates, you see that there's these other factors that come in that kind of correct the macronutrient balances, and they all have micronutrient-dense diets. So they all have nutrient-dense diets, and they tend to fall in these ranges of about 19 to 35% of their caloric intake from protein, 22 to 40% of their caloric intake from carbohydrates, and 28 to 58% of their caloric intake from fat. So that's our hypothesis, right? So we look at these, these, um, these societies that mimic the, the diet that um, we would have had for uh, at least the last few hundred thousand years of evolution that are um, don't have any of the chronic health problems that are uh, associated with uh, industrialized countries, Western countries, right? The, the chronic illnesses that are related to excess. And, and we see we've got these trends. Okay, so now we go, all right, this is our hypothesis. We, our hypothesis is these macronutrient ratios are probably pretty great. If we do an analysis of the 
modern scientific evidence, there's uh, something called the AMDR, which is called the Accepted Macronutrient Distribution Range. And this is based on survey studies that look, it's mostly based on epidemiological evidence, but what they're looking at is levels where either too little or too much is associated with some kind of health problem. So it either increases risk of a chronic disease or it leads to some kind of um, problems with, uh, might be associated with insufficiency. And the AMDR, this is completely based on contemporary scientific studies. And the AMDR for fat is estimated to be between 20 and 35% uh, total calories. The the AMDR for protein is between 10 and 35%, and the AMDR is between 45 to 65%. And those don't quite line up with hunter-gatherers, but one of the things that we can do is we can kind of take that information and then through the lens of um, you know, our, our philosophies on understanding science, we can kind of add some interesting additional things to that. So for example... We know that higher protein intake is uh, really, really important for weight management. Uh, We know that there's some genes in which lower fat is really important. So for about 25% of people have one or more copies of the APOE4 gene, and they do much better with lower fat intake. Um, We know that with the modern food supply, that sugars are actually probably more important uh, to limit than total carbohydrates. And so we know that that's probably skewing this data, the the quality of those carbohydrates, the quality of the fats, um, the genetic factors that aren't being taken into account. So when we start to add in, in this extra insight by taking an even bigger picture view of the scientific evidence, we can come up with a macronutrient intake range that sort of fits modern science and hunter-gatherer intakes um, and um, and gives us a, a pretty good, good target with a lot of wiggle room to experiment on ourselves and figure out where within these ranges we feel our best. And so when I look at all of that data together, here's what I end up with. 20 to 35% of our total calories coming from fat, 20 to 35% of our total calories coming from protein, and 30 to 60% of our total calories coming from uh, whole food sources of carbohydrates. That is what I sort of refer to as balanced macronutrients, Stacey, to use the word that you so brilliantly used at the beginning of the show. Because really what we're looking at is something like a third of our calories each from fat, protein, and carbohydrate with a fairly large amount of wiggle room, especially with carbohydrates. And that doesn't necessarily mean that every meal needs to be like super regimented. It doesn't mean um, that we can't have some um, actually stochasticity. So what's really interesting is the body seems to respond really well to fluctuations in macronutrients, right? Seasonal variability, Um, For example, our ability to digest carbohydrates is very different in the morning compared to the evening. It's one of the reasons why having starchy carbohydrates in the evening can help improve sleep. It's one of the reasons why high-protein breakfast can actually um, improve metabolism for the whole rest of the day. So there's there's a lot of really interesting layers of detail that we can add on top of this. But 
those macronutrient ranges don't look like any of the diet extremes. They don't, it doesn't look like, um, it I would probably be called moderate carbohydrate. Um, it may be called higher protein, um, but it certainly doesn't fit the, the sort of trendy fad weight loss diets that we see. And as we've talked about on the show before, there's some, some real challenges to those weight loss diets. So um, we've talked about ketogenic diets. Um, and actually, I, I found the episode numbers. We talked about them in episodes 140 and 305 um, and the types of problems that they cause. We've talked about, um, we've, we've talked about issues surrounding the importance of fiber consumption, which is another way to get at, you know, that, that carbohydrate consumption also includes fiber. So it's, it's another way to sort of get at these, these numbers is to, to look at, um, quality and understanding that fad diets where the, the primary goal is weight loss are not designed to be healthy. So, um, when we look at macronutrients and we look at it in this way, what we're really looking at is what is the range where we're going to be able to maintain health? And these these are the ranges that we end up in. And there is. there's, I mean, that 30 to 60% calories from carbohydrate gives us a lot of playing room. So I think it's kind of interesting to me as someone who's been, and probably all of our listeners, on a variety of quote-unquote diets, right? And I Mm -hmm. mean diet in a traditional sense where from, you know, Weight Watchers to really low-carb paleo that did not do my body well to um, tracking macros with lifting. And first of all, my mind was literally blown when you said um, that indigenous people were eating the contents of stomach (laughs) because having been someone who has processed organ meats, like the idea that you would come across that and say, "Mm, I'm going to eat it is just like mind blowing to me. So, and it's, and it's revered, like it is a super special food. So I'm, I'm sure that it plays a part. And I've always known that organ meats have played a part in, human health like when you look at evolution and biology and all that kind of stuff and the um micronutrients that are in them (laughs) (laughs) anyway I had to like carefully make sure I was saying the right thing there but what's curious to me is the idea of this balance of macronutrients because I think if you talk to three different people they would tell you three different things about what the ideal is right but I I think that it's true that it is an individualized thing, just like some people need to focus on certain micronutrients to help their bodies function the the best, right? Like we have a general sense and then we have a, but this is really good for your body. Like, is that the same way with macronutrients? And are there people that do better with, for example, a higher protein diet? Or is that in some literature that I've, um, Red and I'm not saying if it's legit or not, um, would say that too much protein can be bad for your system and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff, right? Yeah, I think one of the things that we're learning is that too little or too much of any macronutrient are associated with, with health problems. So we've talked on the show about too high fat and too low carbohydrate, which is keto or 
zero carb diets and the health problems that's associated with that. And I don't want to sort of relitigate my, my, uh, very, um, uh, low opinion of ketogenic diets, but there are also issues with high protein intake. Um, if, if, when protein intake starts to creep up, what happens is um, plant foods tend to be displaced. So you end up with fewer nutrients that are really important for processing that protein. And some protein intake creeps up to 35 to 40% intake, especially when carbohydrate quality is not high, that can end up being a strain on the kidneys. So there are issues with high protein intake. Um, but what's really interesting is your question of like, well, we know that, um, say with micronutrients, right? The, a great example is if you have chronic stress, you burn through magnesium and vitamin C faster than somebody who doesn't have a lot of stress. And so your dietary requirements for vitamin C and magnesium are going to be higher than somebody who, um, just doesn't have the same type of, of, um, stress inputs in their life. And so with micronutrients, we know that, uh, there is a, a range, right? There's what the, the recommended daily allowance, which is the amount that is considered sufficient for, for most people. And even in the definition, right, it's it's 98% of people. So it acknowledges that 2% of people are going to need more than that. And then there's also these like extra situations where we know, hey, you you might be a person who who needs extra. And you can do that with food. As we talked about on our vitamin D show a few weeks ago, there are certain nutrients that's very challenging to get sufficient quantities from foods. If you have deficiency, in which case you might look at targeted supplementation. We also see that kind of variation in macros. So for example, if you're very, very active, um, and that I don't mean somebody who's an athlete. I mean somebody who's uh, a, like a recreational athlete, right? So uh, I CrossFit, um, for example. Um, that increases our protein requirements. So that's when you're going to hit somebody who needs to be more in that 30 to 35% range rather than that 20% range. Um, also, um, higher protein intake can help preserve lean muscle mass during weight loss, which is really, really important. So one of the big challenges with weight loss is that keeping it off is so hard. So there's been studies that have compared weight loss success from all kinds of different diets, right? So, um, you know, any, all different kinds of caloric restriction, uh, paleo, low carb, right? The zone, right? South beach, Atkins, right? There's, I'm, you know, weight watchers, all of these different diets that they've been compared in terms of their efficacy for weight loss. And really every diet works. It, it's, I'm, you can muscle through any diet and lose weight. The problem is keeping it off. And what happens with most of these diets is that, um, you're losing lean mass in addition to fat mass. And depending on the diet, it can be up to pound for pound. So this is one, one of my critiques against keto again, is you're actually losing more lean muscle on a ketogenic diet than you are on a, like just a lower calorie, you know, calorie matched version, right. Where you have balanced macros. Um, and so when you lose muscle, you lower your basal metabolic rate. So our, our muscle is our, our primary um, determinant of our basal metabolic rate, right? Our thyroid and um, 
our thyroid's a bit of a controller here, and obviously our brains are using about 25% of the energy that we burn every day. But so preserving lean muscle is really, really important for preserving metabolism. And one of the things that's really challenging when you're losing weight is if your metabolism tanks, then you need lower and lower, lower calories in order to keep losing weight. And then the other thing that happens is um, if you lose weight too quickly, especially you actually increase uh, hunger hormones, which drives appetite. So you have this perfect storm of being hungrier than you normally would be while your metabolism is lower. So it becomes harder and harder and harder to maintain that diet. And so one of the really important ways to sort of get around this in terms of healthy weight loss is to up protein intake. So you so the things that help preserve muscle mass during weight loss is higher protein intake and some exercise. Uh, so upping protein intake and making sure that you're incorporating some weight-bearing exercise into your week. And then um, uh, aiming for a moderate, moderate caloric deficit so that you're not losing weight too quickly. And that's like the magic situation where you can preserve basal metabolic rate and not increase your hunger hormones too high so that you can lose weight. Yes, you're losing weight more slowly, but it's easy to keep off. And so that's like a really, really important strategy. And it's another example of a person who would need higher protein intake. Um, if you have, again, right, I mentioned the APOE4 gene, but also like Stacy, without a gallbladder, you're going to have a harder time at that higher end of that fat intake range, and you're going to do better with higher carbohydrates. Um, we, so we definitely have like within those ranges, there are people who will do better at the low end of the range or the high end of the range. So there's all kinds of situations that would determine where you are. And also we're probably supposed to have some seasonal variability. So we're probably supposed to have higher carbohydrate consumption in the summer. And we're probably supposed to have um, higher fat and protein consumption in the in the winter, um, just based on sort of fruit seasonality uh, versus um, sort of winter vegetables. Like it's, that's probably a really important part. Of course, we're probably also have, supposed to have seasonality and things like indoor temperature <laughs> and uh, sleep hours, right? It's sort of normal to sleep more in the winter and less in the summer. And we tend to mask a lot of seasonal variations with, uh, things like electricity. Um, but yes, I mean, there's, there's definitely going to be people who do better in different parts of that range. So I have learned through trial and error that I definitely do better, with on the lower end of that fat range and the higher end of that protein and carbohydrate range. And that, that for me, I have better energy. I sleep better. My weight's easier to maintain. So, um, I definitely recommend playing within that range. Um, but I really think that it's, it's, if we're going to take a micronutrient approach and aim to get enough fiber, which I think is really, really critical, enough protein and sort of balance that plant versus animal food so we're achieving micronutrient sufficiency, almost, it almost forces you in that range. It is incredibly challenging to get enough fiber and not end up with about 40% of your calories from carbohydrates because our dense uh, fiber foods, like something like sweet potato, uh, like uh, uh, three and a half cups of sweet potato, 
I have these numbers in front of me. That's why I can just quote them. Has 25 grams of fiber, which would be the USDA fiber allowance for women, probably half of what we actually need. Um, that is not a ridiculous amount of sweet potato to eat throughout a full day, but that's going to give you 150 grams of total carbohydrates. You could get the same amount of fiber from uh, spinach, but it would be 24 cups of spinach, um, a pound and a half of spinach. So it, it, and then you'd only end up with 50 grams of, of total, um, carbohydrates. So for, for most of us, those dense sources of fiber in order to get enough fiber without eating, uh, 24 cups, which is like uh, several, like six, how many cups are in a, in a gallon? Um, four. Matt could tell you. Um, yeah, I think uh, it's, eight, it's eight, eight cups in a gallon. Yeah. Okay. So three gallons of spinach. I love that you're practicing your Americanisms right now. <laughs> um, no metric yeah. system. <laughs> um, it's, it's, well, this is how, why it's a challenge. I'm like doing all the conversions in my, in my head here. Um, so three gallons of spinach versus three and a half cups of, of sweet potato. Like it, one's just easier to eat than the other. Um, and so in order to get enough fiber, it's, it's really tough to do without your total carbohydrates ending in the 200 to 300 gram range, which means 40 to 60% of a 200,000 calorie a day diet. So just from a fiber intake perspective, getting enough vegetable matter to get our fiber up as where it's supposed to be, that's automatically putting us in the higher carbohydrate range. So if you start thinking about your plate being three quarters vegetables, and, you know, like using some fat to make things tasty, right? Adding some nuts and seeds and having some quality meats, you almost, it's almost impossible to not end up in those balanced macronutrient ranges when you start thinking about micronutrients. And that's another really good rationale for why we need balanced macros is you cannot get the micronutrients you need once you start skewing your macronutrients into these extremes. You're going to miss out on something, right? There's nutrients that we get from plant foods that we can't get from animal foods. There's nutrients we get from animal foods that you can't get from plant foods. And if you're going to, say, not eat enough carbohydrates, you're going to let protein and fat um, take take over you're almost certainly going to be deficient in vitamin C in most of the B vitamins, except for B12, uh, vitamin K1, potassium, magnesium, chromium, all the important phytochemicals that are so important for disease prevention. Like there's, there's micronutrients packaged up with our macronutrients. They're really important. So part of aiming for balanced macronutrients and having a food quality criteria for choosing food foods is achieving micronutrient sufficiency. Mic drop. Dun, 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 dun. I'm shocked that it came back around to micronutrients. I'm just, <laughs> I can't believe it. I was being sneaky. <laughs> but I, I think the way that you explained it is so important for people to understand because it's been a struggle for me I have a very good friend who came to keto outside of paleo, who is just, you know, a friend who um, is doing it. And my, my biggest thing to her is like, please just eat vegetables. Like if you yeah. want to eat super high fat, great. But like 
add more spinach to your plate, like more and more and more spinach to your plate, you know, and it, it's hard for people who are not in the mindset of 13 servings of vegetables is ideal over, you know, whatever the USDA is recommending these days to think five, about five let's I mean let's give them credit that they're recommending five okay okay yeah but, yeah I mean <laughs> but even then is a stretch for most Americans as we've talked about before right so I think it it makes sense that especially for say athletes for example they're turning to products that are targeted to increasing whatever macro it is they're focused on Mm -hmm. and not necessarily the micros associated with it. And I know that was my struggle when I was doing strongman is I was making myself smoothies that had the nutrients that I needed because I didn't want to eat a lot of those (laughs) processed foods that were otherwise available. Right. So it was like, it was a hundred percent more difficult. And I think it's also hard for people who you say, oh, you need to be careful of macros, but don't forget micros. Like, you know, it's a whole lot to be careful of. So I, I loved the idea of the way you put it of if if you think for a minute of just the basic necessity of fiber and nutrients and micronutrients that you need. And then from there, okay, how can I get that with macros? Right. And I, yeah. I think you know, we both strongly believe not just in the power of vegetables and micronutrients. We also strongly believe that there's animal fat that is necessary for human health, which makes it difficult for people who are vegetarian and vegan, as I was a long time ago, and especially for moral reasons, to get those things as well. Like it's it's just a struggle overall for that quote unquote balance, because there are so many factors that go into it. But I think when we consider the goal, when we consider where we're coming from, and, you know, we're talking about gut health, and brain health, and all of those things, right? Like, we, we want to be healthy when we're older, not not just do we want to live a longer time. We want to be healthy when we're there. Mm -hmm. So what can we do now, not just to be aesthetically pleasing or as strong as possible or all of those things? Like we can still want that, but we need to consider long-term health in the same context. And it does make it more difficult for sure. I think also one of the things that I I sort of want to emphasize here is this is a learning curve. So what I generally recommend, and one of the things I do for myself is I do a three-day food diary about once a quarter. So every every few months, I pull out the chronometer app and I plug in. And I really, I try very, very hard not to let it influence my food choice, but it sort of invariably does. So also, this is my let's clean up my diet <laughs> exercise at the same time. But I'm checking in. Um, I I track my fiber, my protein, and my micronutrients. So I I don't actually I let sort of fat and carbs land where they may, um, because they're going to land in these healthy rate zones if I'm getting enough fiber and if I'm getting enough protein. And then I'm looking at all of my micros to make, make sure. And I've got a few that I specifically. Um, I have a hard time getting enough calcium. That's really common on the autoimmune protocol. Um, if you're not eating a lot of um, sort of the calcium-rich foods like um, sesame seeds and sort of other nuts and seeds. 
And so it just helps me sort of reset and I go, okay, right. I do need to eat this much kale because kale is also a great calcium source. Um, and, uh, right. Remember, yep. I, I remember all of these foods and go, and I, I just need to do this like check-in every few months. Uh, am I still on track? And usually when I, do the check-in is when I'm intuiting that I'm not on track. And it's and so it's a little bit of a reset for me. But I think that for most people, if you start thinking about, okay, I need to get, uh, what is what is the macronutrient here that I'm, I know I'm going to be challenged? And for most people, it's fiber. And I would say second is protein. I mean, those, those are my, certainly my challenges that that's pretty common. Okay. So what are the foods I'm going to, to how am I going to, how, how, what's my plate going to look like in order to hit my macronutrient targets and make sure that I'm getting sufficient of these macronutrients that I tend to not get enough of. And it takes a few days, maybe it takes a week of, um, measuring foods, right. Right. Measuring and like looking in databases for, well, how much, how much, whatever fiber does that kiwi have? Right. And, and trying to, um, I always think that one of one of the things that's really um, common for um, people who have struggled with weight for a long time is we tend to develop encyclopedic memories for food nutrients. Um, it, it comes from, I think, for me, several decades of counting things. What things I was counting changed, but um, I just sort of developed this like, yeah, no, I totally know how many calories are in that thing. Um, but I think that this is just a different application, right? So it's, it's finding those foods that fill in the gaps for you and figuring out what your plate looks like. And then you can wean off of the actual like measuring and, you know, uh, put it logging, right. And, and food journaling and make that more of, you know, okay, now I've, I figured out how to do it now. Here's, here's my habit. And then check in every once in a while to make sure you're still on track. Um, you know, Food journaling is a is a really phenomenal tool for weight loss. There's a lot of studies showing that that awareness of what you're eating that comes with food journaling is really important for the behavioral modification of weight loss. But it's exhausting. I can't keep it up all the time. Well, and I think, too, with people who have had a history of disordered eating, it can be problematic because, like you said, it does influence your food choices um, if for most people in a positive way, like if you're, if you're writing down and accountable to even yourself, um, you're less likely to eat the thing, but a lot of people are also driven to not record it properly or, um, sneak around or do, do those kinds of things. And I so- think that's firstborn children versus everybody else. <laughs> you think so? <laughs> I think Cause I'm a, I'm a, um, if I have to log it, I won't eat it. Like it's, I'm, I'm, I'm a, but I'm, I'm like a super rule follower person. Like I'm a, I'm a drive the speed limit. Well, okay. Five miles an hour over. (laughs) I'm a, but I'm, I'm a rule follower, right? Like I, I have this like desire to please authority figures thing happening as a oldest child. And I, I think that, uh, I think that rebellious nature often comes with uh, secondborns. I think so. I think I birth order plays, plays a factor in here. So I'm the firstborn and I am definitely. But you're the rebellious one. have no problem breaking rules. <laughs> <laughs> so who knows what's the cause. But I, I, I would just encourage people to be mindful of that 
when, and that happens for me, not just when I'm journaling, that happens for me, like, if I do any sort of challenge, right? Like, I, I don't want to single out any particular program because it's not a particular program's quote unquote fault. It's the idea of hard and fast rules for a short amount of time um, for an end result. Like I will totally find ways to bend the rules so that it's still true to the exact rules of whatever the challenge is, but then I will um, definitely go outside the intent (laughs) of those rules, right? (laughs) So I think, you know, the important part for me when I'm thinking about these things is iterative check-ins and a mindset of what is, what is the intention and what is the goal? Like, Mm -hmm. I have to think about those things, not just like, what are the rules? But um, the intention here is that I have more of my carbs later in the day and they're within a healthy range for me because I'm not crossfitting. I'm not lifting anymore. Like if I have a bunch of carbs, that's not great. Um, And if I don't have, you know, multiple servings of vegetables, if we've been running around and we've just been eating, you know, protein bar or something like I need to make sure that I'm getting those in. I try to have iterative check-ins with me and my kids my kids as well, right? Like how many vegetables have you eaten today? Um, okay, no, you need to go have a salad or whatever. Right. Um, and I think it doesn't have to be this, um, overwhelming there's, there's so much and blah, blah, blah. If we come from the perspective of what's my intent, what am, what am I trying to achieve? Ultimately health, right? Like, okay, is this food choice the best for me in this moment? If I have not yet gotten all of my fiber, my vegetables, my whatever, like, well, let me focus on that. So with that, let me suggest a way for you to add vegetables to your diet. Mm -hmm. And that is with wild Zora. Do you see what I did there? That was, that was, that was so many ways of awesome. (laughs) I love wild Zora. I have wild Zora has been a staple in my house for years, like pretty much since it was a brand new thing. And there were only a couple of different flavors of the bars. And it's because that, I mean, so first of all, lots of VIP options. And also it is a meat bar with vegetables and it's delicious and, and portable. And, um, one of the reasons why Wild Zora is such a great sponsor for this show, for this discussion of, like, well, macros and micros is because Zora has a very like food quality focus in all all of her products. So she's very micronutrient focused. Um, everything is packed full of vegetables, but also has high quality proteins. And, you know, while if you only ate like wild Zora bars for your entire day, your macros might not end up perfectly balanced. They, in terms of like portable foods, um, we bring the, um, they have these like meals that are just in a pouch and you just add hot water and let it sit for like five to 10 minutes. And then it's like a stew, like right out of the pouch and they're absolutely delicious. And we bring them camping. Um, the, the diversity and, and of products breakfasts. and breakfasts. Yeah. So the, the, what I love is the diversity of products that Wild Zora offers, um, compared to other convenience foods, it is, I mean, such an easy way to get vegetables and high quality protein. 
and also it sort of fits this philosophy of um, balanced macros with some wiggle room to allow you to figure out what works best for you while also making micronutrients a really important focus. So let me read the copy because I learned a few things from this. Wild Zora is a woman-owned, family-run company made in America. Love all of that. <laughs> and as you noted, they have um, the Meji. Uh, they have the Meji. The Meji. That's actually yeah, what we need to call them going forward. We should forward. be calling them Meji bars. The meat and veggie bars, which are um, in the small bag. There's usually, I think there's two or maybe two. there's three little um, squares of meat ish things, but there's veggies in there and that makes it softer. Um, they call them bars, but they're not like a traditional meat they're, protein bar. They're, they're like bites. I call them. They're a, and they're a nice texture. Yes. They're not, they're not too soft. They're not too chewy. They're, they're just, they're, well, they're perfect. Let's, let's just, let's go I would out hear and you the say, word. I know I would hear you say that and I would roll my eyes and then I ate them and I was like, Whoa, these are actually really delicious. Yeah. Um, and then they also have, as you said, the dehydrated uh, backpacking meals, but they also have soups and instant teas. And I mm -hmm. have had the soups here on the road. I've just added hot water and it's wonderful. So I've only had, so of the soups, um, the, I think it's called lemon chicken, zesty lemon chicken, something like that I think is the only AIP flavor yeah, that's of soups. So, so that's the only one I've had, but that one, so, so delicious. Yes. So let me say all the meat is 100% grass-fed, grass-finished, and free-range, bought from American farmers that Zora herself has visited the farm to make sure that they're treated humanely. That is so... I, sorry, I did not right? realize. That's why I wanted to read this, because I'm like, I love these things. Each bar uh, has a full... We should get ad copy more often to read, because, <laughs> dude, I'm learning something right now. Uh, I'm super impressed. Like, I, I've met Zora a few times before and uh, she's just such a lovely person and her passion for what she does it's just like she just exudes it but i that is such an amazing step to take in sourcing your ingredients that i'm not sure every company could could claim yeah that. no i'm That's i'm a big proponent of you know high quality sourcing and humanely treated animals that one was big and important for me as well but then as you noted each bar um, and we're, we're saying bars, but it's like a little baggie of the, the meat and veggie bars has a full serving of organic fruits and vegetables and everything is grain, gluten, soy, and dairy free. And everything is also nut free other than the vegan breakfast meals that I mentioned. And then as Sarah and I said, they also have full AIP options, like plentiful. There's not just mm -hmm. one option, there's multiple. So, we, our family has been using all of these things on the road. They're wonderful for packing. We can leave them in the car and not worry about them. And my kids really love the meat and veggie bars. And I love that when they're hungry, I can just pull one out of my purse and say here. And I know that they're getting quality protein with fruits and vegetables. So and to remind our listeners, they can go to wildzora.com forward slash the paleo view, where they can get free shipping and up to 30% off Wild Zora products. Thank you to Wild Zora for sponsoring our show, because as Sarah noted, it really is both about macros and <laughs> micros. And so I think that you've um, helped our listeners find a solution for both of those things as well. Um, thank you listeners for tuning in. We will be back again next week. Who knows where I'll be. I think I'll be in Vegas actually, which is kind of exciting when we record next time. 
there could be some fun background noise. Uh, hopefully not. Hopefully I'm in a quiet hotel <laughs> like, room with I'm good Wi-Fi. I'm at Soleil right now and I'm recording this podcast. That might be inconvenient. Yeah. So thank you again. And I look forward to either seeing you at one of these um, few events that are left or talking with you again next week. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to The Paleo View. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping for our favorite paleo products on the sidebars of our individual websites or by donating through PayPal. Oh, I love the woo-woo symmetry. There you go. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.